Our speaker tonight in our summer series, continue our summer series, is Bob Rowley, Senior Advancement Officer, Oklahoma Christian University. A little bit about him and his bio. He's, uh, as I say, Senior Advancement Officer, has been with OC since September, wait for it, 1970. That's a long time, 1970. BA in Bible from Oklahoma Christian, um, and also his master's, master's degree in religious education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1987. He's married to Lynn Hearn, an OC alum as well, who serves as his executive director of elementary education for the Edmond Public Schools. And I know that Bob preaches for several congregations, uh, Fairview and uh, O'Keen in O'Keen, Oklahoma. Uh, I met Bob for the first time in the fall of 1982. So we uh, this year will be our 30th anniversary of friendship, Bob and I, when I was in Montreal and he was the international student advisor at OC and I was going to be a mature student, I was 35 years old, and new to Oklahoma Christian from Montreal, the first thing that I did when I decided to go to Oklahoma Christian was open a map to find out where Oklahoma was. Because if you're from Montreal, your awareness of Oklahoma back in the 80s was not very, very, very high. The one thing, uh, because I want to give him the time, he's the speaker, the one thing that I can say with great confidence, uh, I can say a lot of things about Bob and what he's done, the various roles that he's, uh, uh, that he's held at Oklahoma Christian in all these years, is that he has given a lifetime of service promoting Christian education. He is a cheerleader for Christian education, and it kind of doesn't matter where they have, you know, he's a very uh, flexible guy. He, no matter where they put him in the OC system, the one constant that remained, no matter where he was, is he was pro-Christian education and certainly pro-OC. So a friend, a brother in the Lord, and a wonderful Bible teacher. I'll leave the time to, uh, to Bob. Thank you, Bob. Wow, how time flies when we're uh, having fun. 30 years that um, Mike and I have had that relationship. And uh, it's almost scary when I hear it that I've been at OC since 1970. I tell people, I say, it's, it's scary for me that I've been there that long. But it's really scary for the folks that have tolerated me for that long and uh, uh, everything. No, it's been, uh, it's been a great, great relationship. And, uh, boy, there are just so many people here in the audience tonight that, uh, uh, man, I want to thank Johnny, you, you still have hair and it's dark and, and, and everything. I mean, I've known Johnny forever, and uh, I was just telling him that a, that a colleague that he is very well associated with, uh, Bob Lashley, uh, they were in the uh, Summer Singer group. There's a picture in the hallway where I am located office-wise, and it is a picture that has been blown up many, many times, its original size, and it's a picture of Bob Lashley and then myself, and um, it was a picture from the early 1970s, 
And we both had all kinds of hair. My hair was as black as coal, had sideburns down to here. And I walk past that picture ever so often, and I stop, and I look back at it, and I say, who is that guy? And uh, one day, uh, this was really funny, there was a student who walked past, and I was standing there in the hallway. The student walked past and looked at that picture and then looked at me, and then they turned around and looked at the picture again, and I said, yes, it is, it is, it is me. Uh, and they said, oh, okay, and, uh, and all. But uh, anyway, it's, it's been great being at OC. Um, man, I love this church, Marty, uh, good friend. Um, we do preacher's breakfast uh, ever so often, Mike, uh, Dayton. Um, I think Dayton and I probably tie... Or, or the folks out here at Choctaw, we probably tie for the furthest drive to um, uh, preacher's breakfast. Uh, some of the guys have just a few miles, and then there's some of us who uh, make it a long trip, but um, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and everything. I couldn't help but think about um, Michael for just a moment, um, if you don't mind me just being a little bit more personal. I will never, ever forget Dr. Baird was teaching a class on the book of Romans. And he had to be away, and so he asked me, um, would I fill in and teach his class on the book of Romans? And I said, well, Dr. Baird, I, I will, but surely you can find someone else. And uh, he said, no, I want you to do it. And I said, okay, I will, I will do it. And I will tell you that it was, um, uh, it was a great experience other than the fact that Mike Mazzalongo was in class and he had tough, penetrating questions. And, um, uh, but it made me work hard. I mean, every time after class was over, I would go home at night and, and I, would, um, uh, I would really uh, research and work to, to try to figure out uh, what the particular text was saying. And, and I credit him uh, for making me do that because he was so insightful and uh, uh, there were a lot of days I wanted to just say, hey, Michael, why don't you just come up and teach the class? <laughs> you know, uh, we won't tell Dr. Baird what we've done here. You just teach it and uh, uh, we'll make sure you get a good grade and uh, everything. Boy, I appreciate the uh, uh, invitation to be here and also I appreciate um, uh, seeing Terry Swymiller here. Uh, Terry and her family and I go back many, many years. We go back a long ways. As Michael said, I preach at Fairview and uh, O'Keen, and people want to know, well, how do you do that? Well, it's not that I do them both at the same time, even though they're 20 miles apart, uh, but um, there's a gentleman who lives in Fairview that uh, retired from full-time ministry some years ago, he lives in Fairview, and I live in, obviously, Edmond. And so we've worked out an arrangement where we work on three-month intervals. Uh, I go to Okeen three months, Fairview three months, back to Okeen three months, and Fairview three months. And when I'm at Fairview, he drives to Okeen, and when I'm at Okeen, he, drives, uh, he stays in uh, Fairview. And um, it's a great arrangement because, as I tell people, at the end of three months, they're ready for me to go. And when I go to the other place, they go, oh, we're so glad to see you. 
And uh, I tell my colleague, I say, hey, we're living in the best of both worlds, you know, because uh, just about time people are tired of us and ready for us to go. We go somewhere else, and they love us, and they appreciate us and want us. But um, Terry's um, uh, mom and dad are very uh, special to me. Um, Her dad was a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, I sought his um, uh, counsel uh, a lot of times because um, he uh, um, he was a very steady individual. He didn't get um, emotional. He didn't have highs and lows. He was just just like this. And if I'd get excited about something, you know, he'd say, "Hey, just you know, just stay right here." And uh, so Terry, you know how much I love your dad, and um, continued to um, love her mother very very much. And she's one of my uh, favorites. I love this series, What the Church Needs to Hear. The subject that I uh, shared with um, uh, Michael that I wanted to talk about tonight was the gospel of Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, because we're going to start tonight by uh, reading uh, from the book of Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, and basically we're going to start at verse 8 and go down through uh, verse 17. Just to give you a little bit of explanation of Paul's interest in the Roman church, just to kind of set the stage. Uh, Paul begins with an expression of his appreciation for the Roman church. For in uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And then in verses 9 through 13, the apostle reveals that He had for a long time a deep desire to visit uh, the church in Rome. As a matter of fact, he had made it a matter of constant prayer. Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Uh, Paul's reasons for wanting to visit Rome are stated in verses 11 through 13. Uh, First of all, he felt that such a visit uh, would bring a spiritual enrichment both to the congregation, but also to his own life. For he goes on to explain in verses 11 and 12, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Also, Paul desired to visit Rome in order that he might obtain fruit uh, among them as he had among other Gentiles. And we read this in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planted, uh, I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I find it interesting that Paul says, I had often wanted to visit you, uh, but I had been prevented from doing so. I sometimes ask myself the question, well, why were you prevented from doing so? But in essence, Paul said, hey, 
Bob, it's none of your business. I just said I wanted to go. I wasn't able to go, and he doesn't elaborate. He doesn't give us uh, the reason, and so uh, I know that he knows why he was not able to make that visit. But next, Paul affirms a sense of spiritual obligation toward these believers. For in verses 14 and 15, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. He felt that it was his duty to preach the gospel. He felt like he needed to preach it to the whole Gentile world, to those who were the cultured Greeks and to those who were uncultured or the non-Greeks as it is stated. He says, I was planning on preaching to those who were educated and to those who were not educated. And so that's kind of the story uh, behind Paul and his relationship with the church at Rome. Now then, let me fast forward to the 20th century for just a moment, and then we will go back to the text. How would you like to read your own obituary? One morning in 1888, Alfred B. Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, awoke to read his own obituary. It seems that his brother, Ludwig, had died and a French reporter erroneously thought it was Alfred Nobel. And so he wrote the obituary for Alfred Nobel, even though it was his brother, Ludwig, who had died. All of a sudden, Alfred Nobel saw himself as others saw him. He was, to the world, the dynamite king. Uh, He was the industrialist who had become rich from explosives. He was, as the obituary read, He was simply a merchant of death. Horrified by what he read erroneously, Alfred B. Nobel resolved to do something different with his life. And so Alfred B. Nobel would make that determination that he was going to will his fortune for prizes to those who would do the most for the cause of world peace. The result is the Nobel Prize, as we know it, the Nobel Peace Prize that is awarded every year to those who work for the cause of peace. When Alfred B. Nobel, the Swedish chemist, invented dynamite, he used... He gave it a name taken from the Greek. The word is dunamis. And that word dunamis means power. And so that's the way Paul describes the gospel. Paul describes the gospel as being the power of God. Notice verse 16. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jew and then for the Gentile for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith the great apostle Paul in the first century did not know about dynamite He didn't know about explosives, but he understood the concept of power, and that's why he uses that word dunamis um, here in the text. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, really the essence of the book is given to us. The theme of the book is the righteousness of God. And righteousness means that we have a right standing with God. You and I tonight have the ability to stand right with God if we are obedient to the gospel. And it is good news that we have right standing with God. The good news has power. Paul had seen that power at work throughout the Roman uh, world. Therefore, he wanted to tell the Roman Christians that they ought to be acquainted with and they ought to be obedient to the gospel and they ought to take that gospel to the world of their day. We have in our hands tonight the gospel Sometimes we sing that great song, into our hands the gospel is given. Into our hands the gospel is given, into our hands is given the light. Haste let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the right. Very quickly this evening, and we will try to be quick As I always tell folks, my wife gives me three pieces of advice when I leave to go speak. She says, first of all, I love you. She says, wear your seatbelt. And then she says, don't be talking on your cell phone and trying to write at the same time. I'm not going to tell you, uh, oh, oh, there is a fourth thing that she says, keep it short. I won't tell you where the emphasis is in all of those things that she makes the suggestions uh, about. When I come home tonight, she's not going to ask me, did I wear my seatbelt? She's not going to ask me, did I talk on my cell phone and write? She is going to ask me, did you keep it short? So I must try to do that. But as we think about the gospel of Christ as dynamite, let me share these concepts with you first of all. When you think of the gospel as dynamite, you and I make an affirmation. And the affirmation that we make is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now that almost sounds a bit apologetic. It almost sounds as if Paul is kind of stepping back and saying, you know, the gospel is powerful and, and everything But he uses that word ashamed. And I think what he really means here is that he was proud of the gospel. He had confidence in the gospel as being the power of God. 
A couple of the translations that I was looking at said, I am proud of the good news. Another one says, it's news I'm most proud to proclaim. And so tonight, as we think about Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, or if you will, I am proud of the gospel. Think of the background to that statement that he just made. Think about his lifetime earlier. Go back to the book of Acts. And you see Paul in a situation where he was stoned in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. You read about him being imprisoned in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. He is chased out of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. Um, He is smuggled out of Berea in Acts chapter 17. He's laughed at uh, by some of the folks in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And yet, in spite of all of that, he is proud of the gospel. But while writing out of that background, also think of some of the things that Paul saw that took place as a result of the power of the gospel. He saw a jailer and his family come to salvation in Acts chapter 16. He had seen congregations established in Europe and Asia because of the power of the gospel. He had seen a tormented girl turned into a rational creature in Acts chapter 16. He had seen some of the cynical intellectuals of Athens become children of God and yield their lives to the faith. He had seen a situation where the wicked and corrupt Corinth became the site of a congregation very faithful to the Lord in many ways, even though they went through their struggles from time to time. And so tonight, when I think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would suggest to you and to me, that it is an affirmation that we are making that it works. The gospel works and we must be true to continue sharing that message with other people. A second thought tonight and it's this. When you think of the gospel as dynamite, you and I tonight have an assurance. We have an assurance and the assurance is that the gospel is the power or the force of God. It is that incredible dynamic that is available to each and every one of us this evening. Power was a strange word maybe to use of the gospel when in Rome you had the Roman armies as they were treading up and down the roads and Uh, It appeared that any power that was to be found in Rome was to be found in those Roman legions, those Roman armies. And yet, where is Rome today? When you think about Rome today and you compare it to where the gospel is at today, the gospel is everywhere on the face of the earth. And in some of those countries 
that at one time used to be great military powers. When you think of places like Carthage and you think about Rome and you think about um, Japan, you think about Germany, they no longer have power. Power is residing in the word of God in the gospel. Sometimes we think about political power. And yet when you look at the lives of men who have given everything that they have to become power um, uh, structured individuals. They have given up their, their, their families. They've given up their morality. They've given up their ethics so that they might have power. They've become obsessed with it. And yet so many of those people tonight have fallen on their faces, so to speak, because the power is to be found in the message of God. And so, in contrast to all of these concepts of power, whether we think of military power, whether we think of political power, whether we think of economic power, we have the power. We have the power of the gospel. The gospel tonight goes its way exploding into the lives of people. It has that vigor and that vitality to blow away all of the old practices, the old patterns, uh, the old sins, if you will, into smithereens. And the reason for that is it is dynamite. And so we make an affirmation. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We have an assurance, and the assurance is that it is the power of God. But I would suggest to you thirdly tonight that when you think of the gospel as dynamite, you see an activity. And the activity is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Unto salvation. The first activity of God's powerful, dynamic gospel is it brings salvation to the lives of men and women and boys and girls tonight. Salvation is a deliverance. Just as persons sometimes are saved or delivered from being lost in a forest or somehow they are in a body of water and as as they are about to, to drown, someone comes along and, and pulls them out of that water or they find them in that wilderness or in that forest or on that mountainside. So the gospel saves us. It delivers us from our sins. This powerful dynamite of God breaks into our lives and it breaks into the lives of other people to save us from eternal destruction. That's one of the activities of the gospel, but there is a second activity, and that is it gives us strength to live out every day. I oftentimes wonder how it is that people who do not have a relationship with the Lord those who do not have a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, 
those who do not have a relationship with the church, which is the body of Christ, those who do not have the opportunity to be a part of a a wonderful, warmly knit family like meets here in the Choctaw area. How is it that they survive? And I believe that many do not survive. The gospel gives us strength for the day. It has to become the dynamo in our life. A dynamo is something that continually and constantly pumps out power. And what a tragedy to know the power of God in salvation. But for some reason, we will not let it work in our lives to help us get by every day. When you think of the gospel, you make an affirmation. When you think of the gospel, you have an assurance. When you think of the gospel, there is an activity that takes place. But I think there is a fourth observation, and it is this. When you think of the gospel as dynamite, you come to an acceptance You come to an acceptance. The acceptance of the gospel, Paul says, comes by faith. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the the righteous will live by faith. And that faith leads us to obedience. And when we do that, it is then that we truly come to understand what it is to have a right standing with God. Paul came to an acceptance of the gospel in his own life. I was rereading Acts chapter 22 and revisiting that story of Paul on the road to Damascus. Thanks be to God that Paul was on the road to Damascus and that 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 traveling on that road was not the end, but rather it was the beginning of a new and wonderful and great and powerful life for him. Paul the persecutor became Paul the peacemaker. Uh, Paul, who had been driven by hate, all of a sudden became driven by love because of the power of the gospel. As someone has said, we see the true revolution of a revolutionary in the life of Paul. Some folks find it difficult to believe. I know it's hard for some people to believe and have faith. And yet, I think all of us, if we would just think this thing through very thoroughly, we would understand uh, that we can be people of faith and we must be people of faith. I sometimes hear people say, well, I can't have faith because I can't see this or I can't see that. And I guess I look at it this way. There are a lot of days when I don't see the sunshine, but I know the sun is shining behind those clouds. Sometimes I might not feel love, 
but I know that people love me and they care for me. And if I don't feel it, sometimes it's because I am resistant to letting them into my life and letting them put their arms around me and love me and care for me and give me the encouragement that I want and that I need. I believe in my Lord Jesus. Even when he is silent, I know that he is there. He is ever with me and he is ever about me. The affirmation of the gospel is to not be ashamed. The assurance of the gospel is that it is the power of God. The activity of the gospel is that it is unto salvation. And the acceptance of the gospel is that we trust and that we obey. Numerous lives. And I wish we could go around tonight. I wish we could go around and ask each and every one in the audience this evening to talk about the lives of people that you know. You would probably start with your own life and you would say that my life has been so powerfully um, changed and, and, and everything is so good and wonderful because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think if we went around the room, all of you would talk about people that you know whose lives have been profoundly changed as a result of the gospel. The gospel is a life-changing story. And I think the message that the church, the message that we as individual congregations, the message that we as individuals in the Lord's church that we need to ever go back to is the fact that the gospel still is powerful in the year 2012 just as it was in the first century when Paul wrote these words. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, grips a person's life, that life is never the same again. People are changed at the very root of their being. If I am a coward, I can become a hero. If I am a sinner, sinner I can become and I am transformed. And I believe that we all know of sinful, broken lives that have been made whole again. The gospel then in terms of my life is that for Bob Rowley tonight, the gospel deserves my love. It deserves my devotion. It deserves my commitment, my sacrifice, my involvement. It calls on me to be a responsible individual. It calls for my time. It calls for my effort, it calls for my energy, and it calls for me giving of my resources to the best of my ability to make sure that as many people on the face of the earth have that opportunity to hear this saving message. I close with the words of Paul as he wrote to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. 
In Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I am not ashamed. I am proud of the gospel. I am confident of and in the gospel. My hope And my prayer is that each and every one of us tonight will leave with the assurance that the gospel is God's power unto salvation to everyone who believes. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for this good group of faithful saints who have assembled here in Choctaw. I thank you for their good attendance tonight and their attentiveness to your word. Father, help us always to understand that the gospel of Christ is the only hope for our world tonight. In a world that is in so many ways fragmented, and we know that there are so many people tonight who do not have a relationship with you. And Father, my hope and my prayer is that those individuals all around the world will open their hearts, that they will attune themselves to your word, and that we as your children will never be ashamed of your word, but that we will be proud of it that we will be confident in it and of it, and that we will try to the very best of our ability to find our place within the realm of evangelism and within that realm of making known the gospel to our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers, those that we go to school with, just everyone that we have that opportunity to in some way touch their lives with your saving gospel, uh, that we will be attentive to try to find those opportunities to do so. And when those opportunities avail themselves, we will share and put in a good word for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we again pray for all of those that were mentioned by uh, Bob Aldridge earlier in his prayer. Uh, We know that um, so many people in so many locations are suffering tonight, 
and that people are dealing with great issues of health and other issues uh, in their individual lives. And help us to try to find those opportunities uh, to encourage them and in some way help them through uh, the difficulty that they're experiencing at this time. Again, Father, let us never be ashamed of the gospel, for indeed it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who is willing to believe and to become obedient to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.